I was on the fence on this one for a while. <laughs> this is what the third episode of this series so far that I've had had a serious debate on if it deserves a lamentation or not. Because this episode is just wow. I will say, after some very serious thought, I decided to put this on the bottom of the list of just above lamentations. Oh my god. I actually am not 100% sure what they were thinking with this one. I know a couple things. I do. This episode was directed by Judd Taylor, who's a decent director, does some good stuff. Written by Stanley Adams, kind of. He put out the story treaties, the premise. Uh, you may recognize him as the guy who played Cyrano Jones back in Trouble with Tribbles. But it was, effectively, this episode was actually written by George Slavin, who's someone who I have so little information on, I can't even tell you anything about him. No, seriously. You can find uh, recitations or actual scripts of the original script online, if you bother to go look. I've decided to give you a really quick bullet point of the variances. So, in the original script, they beam down members of the Enterprise and use them to take them as hostage and beam up people and take over the Enterprise and start beaming down more people so they can do this big experiment where they have people swap blood in order to create a new mutant virus which will kill people because overpopulation. Okay. Uh, so there's no recreation of anything, but it turns out that the planet is full of Wolverines. You'll notice this is actually kind of... I'm sorry, I should clarify that. Wolverine from X-Men, not, not the animal. In short, they all have regenerative powers. You'll notice that this is kind of mentioned in the actual episode that goes to print, even though there's nothing to suggest or indicate the regenerative abilities at all. But anyways, so they're a whole planet full of Wolverines. This also means naturally that they are superior to the Enterprise crew and can effortlessly take them hostage, because of course they can. Everyone's superior to the Enterprise crew, right? We also find out that fresh fruit is a luxury, and it's afforded only the elite, and they're forced to do this whole experiment to transfuse the blood. Drama, 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 drama. Turns out that they're actually weak to nitrogen. So they damage their breathing apparatus, a.k.a. their necklaces, and in so doing, they defeat them. And this is also when we find out that Hodon, Hodan? Not Hodin, Hodan, was actually, the whole plan was for the elite the very powerful and rich and wealthy, to live forever and continue having their regenerative abilities while the mutant disease that they are generating would kill off all of the poor and the populace in order to even out the population. They're defeated, the end. That was the original treatise in a nutshell. Like I said, you can find a full dissertation on that if you'd like to. If you're paying attention, that barely resembles this episode, which is why I bothered to mention that Slavin is the one who really wrote this episode off of the bones of the old one. Yeah. Um, Mr. Adams actually mentioned a few times that he was just like, what? When it came to the episode that actually came to be. Actually, funny thing, David Hurst, who plays Hoden in the actual episode, who you may recognize from Mission Impossible, is only a few years older than Sharon Acker, who plays his daughter, who you may recognize from Mission Impossible. Ugh. <sighs> Let's just jump into the episode. Here's a question. How can a planet refuse surveillance? Now that may sound like a weird question, but let me phrase this a slightly different way. You're a ship, you're entering a system, and you're like, scan, 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 scan. And you're like, aha, we've scanned a planet. Oh, there's people there. Let's head over there. Scan, 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 scan. Oh, hey, check it out. There's people contacting us. They're like, hi. And court coordination and contact happen well after all the scans. And then it's like, oh, by the way, we would like you to not scan or surveil us. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's just kind of a weird thing to have in a space setting. I'm curious what they would say if the Klingons showed up. So then Kirk beams down alone because stupid. And he's on the empty Enterprise. H hang on. Just bear with me for a second. So naturally, the first thing that happens is Hoden and his council call up and immediately give away the game and say, no, you can't beam down, you should scan space instead, and you should not interact with us, and no, you're not allowed to beam down to check things out, even though you could just scan from orbit, but you're not allowed to scan either. There's actually one line in the episode which mentions that they can't scan. No explanation given, just they can't. There's a no-scan field. Sure, whatever. I mean, these people apparently are ludicrously advanced, since despite the fact that they have no real contact with the Federation and don't allow surveillance on their planet, they're capable of completely recreating a Constitution-class cruiser, something that, I remind you, is a top-of-the-line ship at this point in history. It'll be like recreating the Galaxy-class in early TNG, when the Galaxy was the top-of-the-line heavy cruiser. Sorry, said I wouldn't get there yet. Odona, Odana shows up. I keep forgetting they say her name is Odonna. Odonna, god dang it. Um, and she mentions that space is a luxury. She's also in on it, as the last end of the episode gives away. Which is funny because, I mean no offense to the actress, Sharon Acker, she just, she kind of has to carry the episode because a huge amount of the episode rests on three characters. Kirk, Spock, and her. And she has zero chemistry with William Shatner and vice versa, obviously, because it's a mutual thing. And so it just, every single scene with her kind of falls flat. And the actress, no offense to her, doesn't do a good enough job of playing someone who's playing someone. Now, that is hard to do in the interest of fairness. It's hard to act as someone who's acting. What most actors do is they just act as the second role. This is one of the reasons why uh, characters in fiction often get away with having basically being able to lie perfectly or to, to see someone per perfectly is because the actor, the physical real person playing the character, just plays a separate character. And then when they're told to reveal themselves, they play the first character and they just change who they're acting as. That's it. It is only a truly talented actor who can act as someone who's acting as someone and thus have nuances and shadings of their actual personality, thus giving the audience something to hook onto and, and pay attention for, right? So... I'm not being too harsh here, I swear. It's just I wanted to point that out because at no point did I... I, I was actually like, is she in on this? Because I didn't really remember. Either way, we have our first, ladies and gentlemen, our first Federation bureaucracy. Now I know what you're thinking. What? No, we've had this before. I mean, you yourself, Lore, have said about the obstinate bureaucrat. Yes, I have. Allow me to discuss the difference between an obstinate bureaucrat, which is a very common archetype in many works, including Mass Effect, Star Wars, Star Trek, Babylon 5, and the obstructive bureaucrat, which is the upgraded mega-evolution of the obstinate bureaucrat. The obstinate bureaucrat is usually a relatively minor issue or someone who has specific, you know, whatevers, but they're not... Well, let me put this bluntly. The obstructive bureaucrat because this is easier to explain this way, is the kind of person who will say, oh, you need Form 885C as approved by this other department in order to be able to re put, submit the request to me for the form you need to go to the other department. So you go to the second department, and you find it you need to go to the first department, and then the first department goes to the third department. And they actually mentioned the fifth department, which hasn't even been brought up yet, because you actually need to go to the fourth department, which actually requires the first department to go to the fourth, to go to the fifth, to go to the third, to go to the second, to go to the first. This is an obstructive bureaucrat. 
They are not necessarily evil, but you can see why most people kind of think of them as such. So this is our very first obstructive bureaucracy in Starfleet, in Star Trek, excuse me. Thankfully, it's not something that comes up all that often, because, well, an obstinate bureaucrat can be, you know, an amusing villain to overcome, because that's usually how it's portrayed. An obstructive bureaucrat is there to irritate you. Oh yes, that's right. This episode's irritating because a huge amount of the screen time is dedicated to Spock, the obstructive Federation bureaucrats, Spock, the obstructive Hoden, and Spock and the obstructive Admiral. So that's three separate axes of irritation which take up at least a third of the runtime of the episode. Yeah. You see why I was considering this one for lamentation status? I haven't even gotten to the thing everyone else talks about yet. I'm just talking about this point. Oh, my God. I... Can I read my notes? Just word for word, do you mind? Hoden blames Spock for imprecise word usage, which leads to them openly mocking on the comp. I'm actually... I, this is not what I read. If I read this, it would be Hoden Spock imprecise words is what I actually wrote down in my notes. Obviously, I'm, I'm elaborating a little bit. Then they openly mock him on the comm, which he calls a lot of noise. What am I watching? This plays like a parody. It does. This actually plays like a parody of of science fiction or Star Trek or whatever. This is the kind of thing I would literally expect to see on a South Park or on a Family Guy or on a Simpsons or whatever. Or Futurama, for that matter. I'm afraid you're going to need Form 887C. <laughs> actually, that's not even the scene I'm, I'm mocking. Excuse me. It would actually be more like, I'm sorry, I feel like I misconstrued your request. Allow me to re-enable the, 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 the attempt to engage in communicative reactions with your person. You know, the, just, oh my god. So then this is what I mentioned in my notes. Why does Spock want to beam down so damn badly? He could just frickin' scan. So Spock decides to go to Starfleet for request. Actually, he goes to Federation. Federation says, nope. So he goes to Starfleet, and Starfleet says, nope. So Spock's like, all right, I'm going to go violate orders. Peace. And he heads out to violate orders on his own. Beams down, and, excuse me, and beams to the... And spends several minutes of screen time reiterating what we already know and have already discovered through Kirk for the last, you know, 40 minutes of screen time. <sighs> Did they need the filler? This of the this of course leads to Odona, Odana, Odana. Odana, yeah, Odana. Each one of us would kill or die to be alone. And then they kiss. And this is when I noticed the fact that the dialogue's terrible in this episode. It's It's got that problem where it's it's dialogue that is English, but it's not anything that a human being would ever say, right? This, I could actually point to exactly what this is because I've encountered this myself and, in fact, have even taught about this uh, both as a, as a creative writing editor, uh, excuse me, creative writing teacher and a creative writing editor, excuse me. It's a problem a lot of people have where they will type words up or write words down and then they'll be like, yes. And those words are different when spoken out loud. I know that sounds weird to anybody who hasn't encountered this, but the way we read 
words on a page is different than the way we speak words out loud. And thus some writers get caught into that writing dialogue as if it's being read in our heads. And this is why one of my biggest pieces of advice I give to just about any writer for anything is read it out loud. You know, take your, take your thing, actually sit there in, in, in your, your room or up against your typewriter or up into your computer or laptop or whatever it is, and say the words out loud and listen to them. And that'll help you to figure out how it sounds coming from an actual voice. Because it'll sound different. Because that type of language is different. Written language is different from spoken language. And that's a problem, especially when you're writing dialogue. The dialogue in this episode re reads like written language rather than spoken language. And it just sounds awkward and weird coming out of people's voices. So then we see the people out the port. And how do they disguise the ports? I, you know, whatever. So Houghton's the bad guy. Lorshock. And what is it like to feel pain? Because apparently we don't experience pain on this planet. No one's ever <laughs> bumped into a shelf in the middle of the night while going to get a midnight snack. How do these people eat? Food and drink were actually uh, something that were covered in the original script. How they mentioned there were these specific chemical nutrients that were given to people and real food was a super luxury. That's not even addressed here. How do these people eat? Everything, that the entire landmass is people. What do they use to generate the food? <sighs> Anyways, <clears throat> insert your own Soylent Green joke here if you'd like to. Uh, so Spock, I'll give the episode this, he was clever enough to request to beam the guy up earlier in order to get the coordinates. It's just it then took him forever to figure this out. Beams down and he figures all this stuff I already figured out and blah, 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 blah. Um, so, let's talk about the big three points of this episode. <sighs> Point number one. Uh, I really don't want to talk about this. Let's just get this out of the way. Overpopulation. This was intended... Um, actually, no. No, let's rewind a second. Changed my mind. My nose itches. Sorry. Let's talk about what type of episode this is, right? We've got all the different types. We've got threat, dilemma, nope, character piece, thinker, mystery. The episode is framed and constructed as if it's a mystery, but this is not a mystery episode. It feels like one, because the whole mystery is what's going on with the Enterprise crew, but this is actually a message show. This is an overpopulation message show. And unlike uh, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, this, while it is overt, is pretty stupid, especially in the way it's constructed. Now, whether this works for you or not is probably going to depend on your personal opinion on this particular thing, because this is about uh, planned birth, for lack of a better way to put it, which is a topic that thankfully has become substantially less controversial over the years. I remember a period in time when I couldn't even bring it up without people going, Rah! Some people may know I have a rule. It's called no controversy. And I have that rule in real life, not just on the show. But you might think, what defines controversy? The times and the individual person or people I'm talking to. Because what is controversial changes and shifts over time. It also depends on geographical location, but since I'm on the internet, that doesn't apply quite the same way. So I kind of have to go with a general feel for it. Obviously, that's not a hard-defined rule, but that's life, isn't it? There's not really a lot of hard-defined rules in life. So, for a while there, this was a topic I couldn't even mention. 
because it was a controversial topic. Nowadays, well, I'm sure there are still some people who will still get rather upset about this, and there are certainly still debates going about this, and that's totally valid. But at least I can mention the topic now without you know everything descending into nonsense quickly. Um, so the message, right? Well, I'm, I'm not. I'm sorry. I keep skipping ahead of my notes. I want to finish talking about the mystery thing first. Please forgive me. I keep doing this because I just really want to get the message over with. <sighs> mystery episodes are fine, really. A good reveal, a good build-up and reveal and payoff of a mystery can be excellent, and there's a great value in a good mystery episode. I can name actually one of my among my favorite TNG episodes, Clues, is a mystery episode. The that's a perfect example of the format I'm talking about: the slow build-up, the reveal, the payoff. I like that episode quite a bit, and it's definitely on my VHS list. At least I think I put it on. I'm pretty sure I put it on the VHS list. I know it was on VHS because I rewatched it several times. This is not that. The buildup is not good because there's two major problems with the buildup. Problem number one: Kirk roaming the ship by himself and just not. There's too many logical gaps that just kind of make me go, "Wait, what?" With regards to Kirk being on the ship by himself. Problem number two is he's introduced to her, Adana, very early on, which clearly just kind of rips all of the focus away from the mystery, even though they are trying to solve it, and more focuses on the interactions between the two. Again, she has to help carry the episode because so much of the dialogue comes out of her mouth. And three, the episode keeps cutting back to the obstructive bureaucracy crap, which actually interferes with and interrupts the mystery. If you remember, I actually brought up what is effectively the same complaint in another of my favorite TNG episodes, The Inner Light. The Inner Light, in my opinion, was ruined in, well, ruined is a, is a bit of a strong word, but actively made worse by the occasional jump cuts back to Riker and crew trying to figure out what's going on with Picard. It diminishes the mystery to be, to be given that framework, in my opinion. For this to work, we need to not be given that framework. I'll give you a much better example of the same idea executed properly. Frame of mind. To use another TNG episode. I keep using TNG episodes, excuse me. Because t frame of mind never really bounced the camera away from Riker. At all points, we were following his perspective. And even though he went back to the ship, quote-unquote, at, at no point was that actually going back to the ship and removing ourselves from perspective. Thus, there was no framing. Thus, we stayed within the mystery the entire time. And it, was, it helped service the escalation and build-up. Let me try to use an analogy in case I'm failing at this. One of the values of a properly designed roller coaster is the before you go over and actually start going down the thing. Now, obviously, that's necessary. The mechanic mechanism needs to drag you up in order to get the height, you know, because simple momentum isn't going to cut it up to get you up there. And you need to have that in order to actually have the momentum to push through the roller coaster. So it's a practical engineering necessity. But a good roller coaster will use that as part of the experience and will really design that initial drop-off to really make you feel it. Because that's, the, generally speaking, that's the most exciting part of the roller coaster, that initial plunge. That build-up is necessary. Imagine, if you will, that you're going up and then it just stopped halfway through. 
And then a small little video played on, like, a screen that's in front of your face. Hey, we'd like to talk to you about honey and how honey is awesome. And then you keep going up a little bit more and you start building up more. And then you get another interruption. Someone's on their phone. Hey, hang on. Sorry. I had to interrupt the thing. Sorry, guys. Sorry. And then you go up a little bit more. and You, you see my point? Because the flow is so drastically and violently interrupted, it diminishes the overall buildup. Now, that would be true if this was a well-constructed mystery, which this is not. So the buildup is completely unsatisfactory on effectively every level. Then we have the payoff. Now, this is really important, and this can be argued, and I will freely admit that. But one of the statements I've heard said many times is a good mystery is only as good as its payoff. If you have a wonderfully built-up mystery and it turns out, you know, it was, it was carrots all along, that just utterly deflates the mystery, destroys it, especially on repeat viewings. At least on a repeat viewing with a good mystery, even knowing what's coming, you can, en you can enjoy that buildup and anticipate the reveal that you know is there. Whereas with a bad reveal, all it is is like, <sighs> okay. And the first time through, I don't know how to explain this. It, it's because what you wanted is so contrary to what you get that even if the buildup was good, which as I've already established this is not, the buildup then becomes tainted, irrevocably tainted by the bad reveal. I could mention Mass Effect here, but <sighs> allow me to use a weird analogy. False flag operations. Hear me out. If I tell Bob over there that Bobina is about to attack him, and then I attack Bob, posing as Bobina, this is the build-up. And then Bob's really furious, and he's legitimately angry, and he's ready to go to war against Bobina. And all of that legitimate feeling is there. Now imagine Bob finds out it was me. What happens is effectively, if we were to think of this numerically, all of this build-up, all of this establishment of, the, of what he was feeling is then immediately inverted to me. He is now not just pissed at me for the deception, but all of the anger of the initial attack is now directed at me instead. Thus, what was a positive completely de determines into a negative. Equ not only equally, because all the positive becomes a negative, but then in addendum to that, because you were tricked, right? That is what happens when a mystery has a bad payoff. And... The mystery in this episode doesn't just have a bad payoff in the it was something stupid thing. It does have that. It's just even the moment of the reveal is terrible. You notice, if I mentioned it earlier, I actually distinguished it into three categories. Build up, reveal, uh, payoff, right? Because the reveal is the exact presentation of what's actually going on, and then the payoff is the consequences of that. But the reveal is not. It's just kind of this, there, there's no impact, there's no moment, there's no da 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 there's no, oh, I knew it all along, or... TV Tropes has a concept called a wham line, and a good wham line can be an excellent reveal moment. This has none of that. This is just kind of like, oh, oh, hey, yeah, um, sorry, it was carrots, sorry. Allow me to explain now the fact that it was carrots. So it's a bad reveal, bad buildup, and the payoff is terrible. These, this, and this is just, these people. <sighs> so, thankfully, this isn't a mystery episode, even though it's set up that, no, this is a message episode. Now, 
I have to branch here because I, have, I want to talk about two things at the same time. But since I kept skip, skipping over it, let's talk about the message, okay? These people insist that they love life so much that they refuse to not have sex. That's, that's implicit. And they also refuse to do anything to prevent childbirth. Okay. Why are, why are you coming and running to me and complaining about it? <laughs> Let me try this in a different angle in case I'm not making my point clear. Let's say you're very allergic to shellfish. Let's say you decide to keep eating shellfish. You know what? That is your right. So, okay. No judgment. Let's say you then come to me ranting and raging about how pissed off you are at all the allergic reactions you're getting to shellfish. I have no sympathy for you at that moment, because at that moment you are insisting how horrible it is that you have caused yourself knowing and willful harm. I know that doesn't equate one-to-one, -one, but I hope that explains why I have literally zero sympathy for these people. None. Now, I know this is supposed to be a commentary on real life, and <laughs> but I have to admit that looking at this situation, this exact situation, because this doesn't apply universally, nothing, nothing applies universally, all I am looking at this is just a bunch of idiots who insist on destroying their planet. Now, check this out. This is even funnier. Kirk says, well, hold up, hold up. You love life so much, you're not willing to not give birth. You're unwilling to not give birth. However, you are willing to kill your own people, to, to um, purge your own people. Let's call it what it is. Yeah, yeah. And the best part is he, he gives this big logical explanation for why that's necessary. Now, if I'm not making this clear, if you have a clear, unemotional, logical, cold calculus reason for doing something, like being willing to murder people en masse, maybe, maybe you should be willing to apply that same cold calculus logic to preventing the problem in the first place. He goes straight from, we love life, to, we're totally kill with cool of killing people by appealing to the emotional and then appealing to the logical. There's no sense in him. Now, I, I suppose that's realistic and believable, but again, it just contributes to the fact that I'm just looking at this guy like he's a moron. <laughs> I just, what? This then apparently has gotten so ridiculously out of control that they, they are wall-to-wall -wall people. Let's not even talk about how nonsensical that is as a concept. Oh, sure, overpopulation is absolutely a thing. And, and certain places in real life, you know, Earth, there are places where you basically do not have personal space and you have to content with being very, very close to a lot of people a lot of time. But this is to such a ludicrous extreme that I find myself wondering how anything happens on this planet. Do, how does food get distributed? How do they have enough air to breathe? How do they have sex in order to have children? Do they just do it in the middle of the crowd in front of everyone? And if they do, how do they give birth? I know these are aliens, but these are all questions that are completely ignored in favor of the overpopulation message. Which brings me to my final point. Most people I know personally don't like message shows. And I'll admit... I am usually in that boat as well, but not because I dislike message shows. I just usually dislike how they're done. As I think I made clear back in Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, a good message show 
is still a good show if you remove the message part of the equation, right? So concentrating on making a good show with a message tends to have better results than making a good message show, if I'm making my emphasis clear. And I feel like Star Trek is a perfect example of this across all of its history, to be perfectly blunt. Um, a few, uh, about a month ago from my perspective, and I think about a year ago from your guys' perspective, I covered an episode called Stigma, or on Enterprise, which actually was a deliberate message show. It was even a corporate-mandated message show. But it was still a decent show, and thus the message was, was easier to digest and, and be processed because it was a good show which had a message, right? Even Enterprise can do this, is my point. But this is nonsense. And I suppose this is as good a time as any to bring up the big one. You're probably wondering, Lore, why haven't you brought this up yet? Because if anybody mentions Mark of Gideon, if you look it up on anything, any review or any dissertation or like the TV Tropes page or the Memory Alpha or even this very book right here, every single one of them brings up the exact same point. How the hell do they have a complete duplicate of the Enterprise on this super overpopulated planet, which is literally wall-to-wall -wall people? And that is a damned good question. In the original treatise I mentioned earlier, everything was confined to a single room. It was a basement episode, is what that's called, where all of the action is centered around one, one set with the occasional work off of a couple other sets. But like 90% of the action is a single room with a single set with people coming and leaving. Now, that can be boring. Those kind of episodes rely very heavily on their actors and their script to make that interesting. And a good director doesn't hurt using different camera angles and trying very things up. Because you're looking at the same room the whole time, right? That's a basement show. If you think about that for a moment, you could probably think of plenty of other episodes of Star Trek that are basement episodes. This was intended to be one. Now, why is that relevant? Money. Remember, and I hate to reiterate this for the 70th time, Season 3 was really hurting for budget. And the episode, as originally designed, was designed around that. You have the one set, you have the Enterprise sets, that's it. That works. But instead they decided to set the whole thing on the Enterprise. Now, for the longest time I have assumed this was for budget reasons, and I did get a mention from uh, Friedberger who mentioned that this was a cost-cutting feature, but I'm not sure if that's why they set it on the Enterprise, so they could just reuse the same sets over and over. You'll notice they do have one other set. It's not much, but it's there. And of course they have the extras outside you know, the, the window, so that's a thing. But my point being, the only excuse I can come up with for this to include the Enterprise is to save money on the budget. Now, as we've been going through Star Trek, I have been giving praise where I feel it's necessary and shame or scorn where I feel it is necessary for the types of budget-saving techniques they have used. To reiterate, let that be your last battlefield, the gloves were a good idea, the invisible ship was not. Setting this entire episode on the Enterprise is stupid. This might actually be the single biggest plot hole in the history of plot holes. Uh, excuse me, let's not be hyperbolic. In the history of TOS that I have seen. And this is TOS. This is a nonsense show. And this is still a whole new level of dumb that I, I, I can't even properly explain. Where do I even begin? The fact that they know how to build a completely working enterprise the fact that they know how to build it in such a manner that it can actually fool Kirk into thinking it's working, and it does have to work at least to some extent. If nothing else, the turbo lifts and the doors work, and the porthole and the, the view screen, right? 
So at the very least, it is a mostly functional copy of the Enterprise. So how do they know how to make this? Let's, let's start with that, just the base blueprints. Then let's figure out how they have the ability to have the resources necessary to make it, which is problem number two. Then let's talk about how they have the problems of practically applying making it. The starships are usually made in space for good reason, but also take a fairly large amount of time in an entire ship, shipyards and the docks and the personnel and all that, all this time and effort and work in order to make a ship for good reason. Because there's a lot that can go wrong with making a spaceship. And it's tested and tested. Now, now granted, this ship doesn't have to be in space, so it doesn't have to meet those rigorous requirements. But still, physically putting together a spaceship is not an easy thing to do. The actual practical act of putting the bulkheads together over the wiring, over the cabling, in front of the actual internal hull, which itself has layers before you actually get to the corridor, and so forth and so on. There's a huge amount of effort and work that goes into that. The actual manufacturing. There's also the fact that apparently a Constitution ship is just hanging out on planet. And it's apparently at ground level? I want you to think about that. Hang on, where's, where's that stupid model I'm going to use? Ah, here it is. Now this doesn't have the saucer section on it because it keeps falling off. Just, just, okay? Okay. Now, tell me how this is just kind of hanging out on the planet. This might actually be the minorest of the complaints I have, but it's still a complaint. I'm also curious how exactly they're at ground level on any part of this ship. <sighs> Unless the people are piled up that high, which is a whole other level of what the crap. <sighs> then we have the fact that these people have no contact or interaction with the Federation. Oh! Sorry, did I mention raw materials? Hang on, so we're at information and knowledge. Hang on, I, I lost track because this is so many levels of stupid. We have information and knowledge. We have practicality of manufacturing. We have raw materials, the ability to actually build this sucker and make it work. The circuitry has to work, remember. Then we have the, 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 the ability that it's actually sitting on planet. Then we have to add the fact that it's somehow not being detected. It probably doesn't have a warp core, so I could actually forgive that piece. But I'm still going to add it to the list because screw them. <sighs> I, then we uh, did I already mention raw materials God, like I said I'm losing track because this is so stupid on every level oh yes and then the biggest reason the biggest flaw with this space <sighs> let me clarify that I don't mean space as in up in the stars I mean volume the ability to actually make this thing on a planet that is so overcrowded that people are literally shoulder to shoulder now on a planetary scale, this is not a big ship. But if your planet is already shoulder to shoulder, including people who are up to the hull of this ship, where the hell are you putting this thing? And how did you make room for that? I don't think I want to know the answer to that now that I'm saying that out loud. Now, hang on, because I'm not done yet. The biggest final reason why all of this is so monumentally stupid is that it's done for absolutely no reason. Their big plot is that they will have they will get Kirk's blood and then use it to infect her, and then she will become a carrier and carry disease and death throughout the rest of the population, right? Now, here's the catch. If you're paying attention there, you'll notice, well, hang on, they don't need Kirk. And you're absolutely right. 
they could literally request as part of a diplomatic package, hey, can we have some of Kirk's blood? And the Federation would probably go with it because obstructive bureaucrats. And then this would be over. And then they could go about their merry genocidal way. Instead, they build a duplicate of the Enterprise. Gosh. A duplicate of the Enterprise. Somehow, some way, somewhere on their planet, in order to trick Kirk to come down, in order to have a big thing where he falls in love with her, so he'll stay, that's the big intent, he'll fall in love with her and then he'll stay because they need him, and then at the end of the episode, it's okay because she's a carrier now, now that she's been cured, so they don't actually need him anymore. Oh my god, this is so stupid it makes my brain hurt. Hey guys, jumping in right at the end here. As I was discussing the episode, I uh, actually had a sneezing attack, which is why there's an edit there. And as I was sneezing, I was like, you know what? This episode really sucks. Now that's not enough. It's not enough for lamentation. But as I was going through point by point, just really sitting here and talking with you guys and analyzing how much the mystery was suck and how much the message just was terribly constructed and poorly implemented, and just how much the, the, the plot hole of Doom, like one of the biggest plot holes in the history of Trek, is ridiculous, I realized that this episode does have that extra oomph. You know why? Threshold. I haven't re-gone through Voyager since the rumination. I haven't rewatched the show. Someday I still would like to re-ruminate on that show, legitimately. But by memory and from the analyses that I already did of that show, Threshold's still at the very bottom. I know that's kind of weird, and I know there are plenty of other episodes that can be considered worse by various factors. But for me, Threshold trumps them. And you know why? Because it is just that stupid. Because it is so aggressively, mind-numbingly redunculous to such an extreme degree that I could barely process it that I look at that and have trouble actually really even understanding how stupid it is. That gave it that extra oomph. Now, this episode isn't as stupid as Threshold, which is saying something. But I bring all that up because that's the extra oomph in this case. It is, it is so aggressively, nonsensically stupid, in addition to being a bad, boring, dumb, poorly constructed, poorly presented, poorly executed, poorly revealed, poorly everything episode, that it just, it, it shoves itself down. So I am going to go ahead and mark this one as a lamentation. I'm not going to change the background on the rest of it because, well, to be 100% honest with you, because I do have a schedule to meet, but also because I'd like to think I did a good job of really discussing the episode and part and parceling it out and chopping it up and really trying to showcase exactly why I feel the episode failed miserably at every single level. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm counting this one as a lamentation. Not the first time I've talked myself into a lamentation as I've discussed an episode. What the heck were they thinking? Before I cut off, one final question, if you'll forgive my indulgence. You are tasked with doing a TOS episode, season three, so your budget is mega limited, okay? You are then given the choice of doing an episode. It can be an episode about anything you want, but here's the proviso. It has to involve Kirk on the Enterprise alone. And we have to use the Enterprise sets. In short, this is a cost-cutting episode, and we're going to use our pre-existing sets as part of the cost-cutting. What do you do? 
hope you guys come up with some cool stuff. Uh, if you remember, way back in Shades of Grey, I asked a similar question. How would you do with the severe budget limitations? I got some really awesome answers from you guys. It was a treat reading all the different responses and ideas you came up with. And there was some good stuff there. So, looking forward to the comment section on this one. And I will see you guys next time.